Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. It's possible that even as you leave the true gospel of Jesus Christ to something else, that you still continue to call it the gospel, where you stop running your race and you stop pressing in, but you've adopted something that you've labeled the gospel or that you've labeled Christianity that actually isn't the gospel or Christianity at all. And that has certainly been a temptation in our culture in recent months to adopt other causes and elevate them above the gospel has collateral damage. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You We're delighted to be with you and welcome to Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor will join us shortly as we get right back into Hebrews. As we've been learning throughout this series, the Hebrews were being tempted to go back to the old covenant and leave the grace of God. If we're not careful, we can so easily make that same mistake. Before you know it, we're leaving the pure gospel and trading it in for something else. So let's lean in and see how this applies to all of us. Chapter 12, we're going to pick up where we left off last time in verse 18. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18, in a Bible study that I've entitled, You Have Come to the Mountain of Grace. You Have Come to the Mountain of Grace. Now, it's true that there is collateral damage when people choose sin. Like, you never sin just to yourself, It affects others. There's collateral damage. There are always other people hurt by your sin. It's not just you. It's like throwing a rock into a calm pond. When you throw a rock, the ripples of the rock hitting the water just continue out, continue out, continue out, continue out, continue out. There's always collateral damage. I would say that all of the pain in this room, everything that we're all going through collectively and individually is the collateral damage of original sin dating back to the Garden of Eden and the ripple effects of what sin has produced over the years, over the generations. We live in a sin-soaked culture, an antichrist culture. We live in a world that does not honor the one true God. And because of that, so many living apart from God, making so many sinful choices, We pay the price for other people's sinful choices. But we also pay the price for our own sinful choices. And we add, unfortunately, to the collateral damage in other people's lives. Nobody ever sins unto themselves. It always affects others. Depending on the level of influence God has entrusted to you, some of you affect more people than others. Sin is painful. And also the choice for believers to stop running their race, turning away from the Lord, that too has collateral damage. That's sinful. And it hurts when we see men and women, young boys and girls perhaps, just choose to quit. 
no longer want to run their race. Just saying, it's enough, I'm done. Sometimes choosing the world, sometimes choosing atheism, who knows what the choice is. The great temptation that the Hebrews were facing was to turn away from Messiah, to turn away from the Lord. It's a great temptation for many today. Now let's be clear in the context and the direct interpretation of Hebrews that the Hebrew believers in the first century were being tempted to go back to the old covenant. And we'll see that unfold in the text today. They were tempted to leave the fullness of their freedom they found in the grace of God and go back to a system of religion. That is not the biggest temptation in the room today for us as we fast forward 2,000 years. Now, of course, there may be some among us that like a religious formalism and want to go back to religion, but that's not the biggest temptation. There are other temptations that are more pressing in the room today. Temptations to leave the pure, true gospel of Jesus Christ to something else. And it's possible that even as you leave the true gospel of Jesus Christ to something else, that you still continue to call it the gospel where you stop running your race and you stop pressing in, but you've adopted something that you've labeled the gospel or that you've labeled Christianity that actually isn't the gospel or Christianity at all. And that has certainly been a temptation in our culture in recent months. To adopt other causes and elevate them above the gospel has collateral damage even as noble as they might be, to somehow create a hybrid of politics and call it Christianity, that's not from the Lord. To elevate a, and even have a phrase for it, to call it social, the, the social gospel. There's no such thing as the social gospel. The gospel is social. And you can take these things and as have your cause and say, this is what I want to do. And then you call it the gospel, but you never mention the gospel at all. And that has collateral damage, church. So you say, well, wait a minute, Ed. I, I want to be political. I want to see social change. I want to see racial reconciliation. I want to see these things. So does the Lord. You have the heart of God. He wants to see people changed and cared for. He wants the homeless fed. He wants babies saved in the womb. He wants righteous and godly leaders in government. You're right. You're with him, but not before the gospel. The gospel comes first. Jesus made it clear. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Oh, don't misunderstand me. I do not believe the gospel will make you less socially conscious. I believe it will make you more. I don't believe the gospel will make you less racially concerned. I believe it will make you more. I don't believe the gospel will cause you to not be involved in politics. I think it will make you care more who leads in government. But this hybrid of running after things and calling it the gospel has collateral damage. It damages the witness of the church. It takes away the focus on the cross and the redemption of Jesus Christ. And if, if the Hebrews were to go back to the old covenant, it would do the same thing. As they go back and take things into their own hands, because remember the Hebrews were losing things. In order to, to follow Jesus Christ in the first century, the Hebrew believers literally lost everything. 
They, they lost their status in society. They lost their position of employment. They lost perhaps even their home and their community. They, they lost their influence. They lost their family. They lost their finances. It was a large commitment. You could say a whole commitment to follow Jesus Christ in the first century. We just don't experience the gospel like that today. Perhaps more and more in the coming days, perhaps more and more pressure, more and more challenges as different political parties or changes take place, whatever. Whatever happens, the Lord's going to be with us. He's going to have, we don't have to think the best and hope that, we don't have to hope, you know, like, oh, be so afraid of what's going to happen. The Bible says that he has put hope in our hearts and we can hope the best. That's what agape love does. We hope the best. We know that God is with us. But if we allow anything to take precedent over the gospel, I'm just telling you, it's going to have collateral damage in your life. It's going to affect us as a church. God has placed this church and that church and the one around the corner, every true church, to bring effective change to people. You know, Jesus, when he came to die, he died for one reason. And he died for one thing. At least you could say one thing at a time. He died for your soul, for you, individually. How, how do families change? God saves a person. How do communities change? A changed family lives in that community. How, how do cities change? How do states change? How do nations change? One believer at a time. One at a time. And you say, okay, Ed, okay, I get it, all that. So what's the gospel then? Well, let me make it clear for you in case anyone ever tries to share with you a different gospel. Let me show you. Hold your place in Hebrew and Hebrews and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because you're right. You're reading Hebrews and you're like, I'm not tempted to go back to the old covenant. Well, some may be. People out on television in different places want to bring you back to the law, to the Torah. They want to bring you under the old covenant. Some of you may be tempted that way. But most of you are tempted in other ways. Most of us are tempted in other ways, and it's not always addictions, and it's not always drugs, and it's not only the top five sins of life. There are a lot of things that tempt us to quit our race and say, I'm done running with the gospel. I want to run this way, or I don't want to run at all. So here's the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, notice with me, couldn't be clearer, and everything comes from the gospel to the gospel and through the gospel for the believer. This is your new identity this is your new purpose in life as a born-again believer. A singular purpose, you could say. This is where it starts. Verse 3. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried, and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And you add, what do you mean? How is that the gospel? Look at verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you. This is the gospel. Jesus lived, died, and rose again. And that message, embracing your God, if you embrace Jesus Christ, believing that message, you too will be born again, and you will be saved, and God will change your life. I guarantee it, based on the authority of God's word. That's the only way that change can take place. And I said it in the earlier service, I think it needs to be said here. Politics is not the gospel. Nowhere in the Bible will you find that. Now, I realize some people may be upset with me, and I'm willing to take that. Go ahead and write to me the 15-page, 20-page article on how you disagree with me. Write it to me, send it to me. 
laid in it with scripture. Make sure you're there in context. And when I see your email and I read the first line and I see it was you, I'll just forward it to Ian and I'll let him read it. <laughs> or whatever pastor's on my mind at the time. I realize, it's, I, I realize it comes in conflict with some, some folks, but I, I challenge you to read the Bible. I challenge you to let the Bible speak to you. I'm not telling you not to be involved in the political realm at all. You would be mischaracterizing what I'm saying here. I believe that if God's called you to be active in the political realm, absolutely you must do that. You have no other choice. You must be compelled to obey God. And I think we should all be involved in the political realm to some degree, whatever God degree God has given to us. But if you hold up some political view as the gospel, you are wrong. Because the gospel is plain and simple. Jesus lived, he died, and he rose again. And that, it's like, I always like to look at it this way, and especially those of you that might wear contacts, but with glasses, you know, even your contacts. If you chose, if I, if I chose to say, if I, if I liken my glasses to the gospel, when I put them on, I can't see you without seeing you through the gospel. My definition of you is the definition that God has for you. I can't help but see you. Now, I take my glasses off. I could put any glasses on. If I put the glasses of this on, then I see you that way. I put the glasses of that on, I see you that way. If I don't have glasses at all, I don't see you at all. That's the way it is. But when I put the gospel on, then I can't help but see you through the eyes of Jesus. I can't help have compassion on you. I can't help, to wanna, I can't help but want to help you and serve you and love you. Why? Because I see you the way that the Lord sees you. And I won't demonize you. And I won't say just because, you, you know, when you walk in love, you even love the people you disagree with. You love the people that maybe don't like you. You love the people that maybe come against you. You love the people. Like, love conquers. It's the love of God. Are you guys with me, church? Are you with me? It's okay to say amen if you don't agree with me. If you don't agree with me, that's okay. I love you anyway. And we're just going to grow in grace together. That's the beauty of the church. We don't have to agree about every single thing. But I, I say this. Test what I say. Test what you hear. Hold fast to what is good. Test all things. But hold fast to what is good. Because if God can stir us all in love and good works, we will make an even bigger difference for our community than we have in the last 21 years. And it's God's heart for us to do that. It's God's heart for us to be socially minded. It's God's heart for us to help the homeless. It's God's heart for us to help the orphan and the widow. It's God's heart for us to serve this community, to give generously, to, to self-sacrifice. And could it be what God was teaching us in 2020 is for us to learn how to sacrifice, how to die to ourselves so we can be a better impact on our community? I think so. I think so. I've learned a lot about my flesh in 2020. I hope you have. Not about my flesh, but about your flesh. I hope you have. Just coming up against it and just really, ugh, just, I can't tell you how many times I just like, oh, that's about all I can say about it. It's like, oh, it's like the, I guess the word is angst. But the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Ever. And that's where these guys are. Different reason, but they're in the same place. They're just thinking, this I don't want to run this race. It's too hard. It's too painful. It's too difficult. And I don't want to run anymore. For them, they were tempted 
toward legalism and formalism. But you and I, we may be tempted in different ways. And for them and for us, the answer is the same. Don't quit. Run your race. Endure. Persevere. By the grace of God, you will make it. So what does he say here in verse 18 with that in mind? For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and blackness and darkness and tempest. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. This is after Paul said in, in chapter 12, hey, those are people who are weak around you, people ready to quit. They got feeble knees, hanging down arms. Go along and help them and strengthen them. And, and then it's almost like Paul's saying in these paragraphs, you want to go backwards? Do you understand what going backward actually means? Do you remember the time, he says, of Moses when he received the Ten Commandments? Do you remember how holy God presented himself? Remember how hard it was for them? It was so terrifying and so hard and so difficult that it says right here in the text, the people begged for God not to talk to them. I mean, you're in a place now where you have Messiah, you have freedom, you have forgiveness, and you want to go back? To a time where it was so difficult and so hard and so scary. There was nobody representing God except for Moses. And even Moses was afraid of God. Do you want to go back there? Do you want to go back to a time when there was no one speaking on your behalf? Do you want to go back to a time when it was hard and challenging? Where blackness, thats a time that's described by blackness, darkness, storms. There was a distance between man and God that nobody could cross. You know, like then, even now, God is holy and man is not. Because if man could be holy on his own, he wouldn't need to give the Ten Commandments. But he did. And this whole paragraph is like, remember Moses? And then he asked the question, do you really want to go back? Are you sure you want to go back to the law? Are you sure you want to quit? Are you sure you want to stop running your race? And that's the word of God to you today. Are you sure you want to quit? Are you sure you want to run away? Are you sure you want to be distracted? Because that is not going to be a good choice for you. Uh, as I say often with my kids, seeing the decision they make, just letting you know, you know, I don't think that's going to end very well. You keep on that. I don't think it's going to end very well. Uh, I don't think you're going to get what you're expecting. I don't think that you're going to accomplish what you desire by that series of decisions, but they're not my decisions to make. That's what God's saying. I don't think it's going to end very well if you choose to quit. I know it's hard, and I expect it'll get harder. Harder, difficulty. I was just talking to a brother yesterday, and we were talking about situations. I've adopted a new phrase, as I've seen it in my own life. You know, there's pain upon pain, and things become harder than hard. And that's how I choose to express some of the difficulties I've faced in my life, especially in the last seven years, even recently. It's just harder than hard. But God is faithful. So you could be harder than hard, than harder than hard. And God's going to still be faithful. You're still going to be able to make it. Why? By the grace of God. By his strength and his goodness. You're still going to make it because God loves you. And he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. And Jesus Christ was brutally murdered for his kindness and love. He was buried, but he rose again three days. And he's alive right now, inviting you into a relationship with him. That's how much God loves you. He sent his only begotten son for you. And that hasn't changed. He loves you and wants you to be in relationship with him. 
And, and so do you want to go backwards, believer? I hope not. But even if you do, listen, there's a contrast now in verse 22. He says, it's not like then. He says, but you, and that word of contrast, you, and I want you to mark this if you like to write in your Bibles. It says, you have come. It doesn't say you might come. It doesn't say one day you will come. He says, born again believer, this is where you are right now. This moment, as I speak, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God and to the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus. You have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of the sprinkling, what speaks better things even of that of Abel. You have come. This is where you are. This is a spiritual thing. This isn't physical Mount Zion. Although when those of you that will be coming to Israel with us in November will take you, will be on Mount Zion physically. This is not physically, it's spiritually. These are all spiritual things. You, you are in a position of grace. You've come to the Mount of Zion. Why? By the grace of God. You're not at the Mount. You weren't with Moses. You're in a different time. You're in the new covenant. You, you are there right now. I mean, and look at how it's described. Not blackness, darkness, and storms. It's described as, in verse 22, the city of the living God. Remember, Abraham was looking for that city whose builder and maker is God. You've come to the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to an innumerable company of angels that worship God day and night and serve Him. Verse 23, you've come to a general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. You're with all believers of every generation that have loved God and served Him. And you made it that you're there. You're right there. And notice it says, you are registered. Then it made me think, you know, here we are. You have to register to be at church. And you think you're going to get rid of registration? You got to register to get into heaven. I got the same response every service. A lot less this one. It is dumb. You won't have to register in heaven. You know what it is? You know what it's referring to? It's much better. It means your name is written in the book of life. By the blood of Jesus, you're already registered every single time. And it's so good to know that your names are written in the book of life. And that's how you get in. It's not by your good deeds and not by all your good works. It's by God's grace. You want to leave God's grace and go back to, go back to a, a place of fear and torment and uncertainty and lack of clarity of who God is? No. He describes it, notice, about this new covenant, the blood that sprinkles. It's the final sprinkling of blood that's better than even the blood crying out with Cain and Abel and the situation in their family. We're looking to God of this festival gathering, joy unspeakable, full of glory. Heaven is coming for us. We can look forward to it. You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. Stop by AboundingGraceRadio.com if you'd like a replay or listen to Abounding Grace through our app. Search for Calvary Church or Ed Taylor and download that today. We're so encouraged as we hear from people who have called or written to let us know that they listen and how God is doing a great work through the teaching of His Word. We're so thankful to God for this. And if you'd like to share your story, please email us through our website at aboundinggraceradio.com. We really want to hear from you. 
And we also have a book we'd like to get into your hands that can serve to help you win the battle of your mind. If you struggle with unhealthy thoughts or emotions, this is a must-read. In Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table, author Louis Giglio draws from Psalm 24, and he offers insight on how to cancel the lies that will wreck your life. You'll learn to stop the spiral of shame, temptation, and insecurity, and restore peace and rest in your life. Again, that's Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table, our featured resource right now at Abounding Grace. Request a copy when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. We're here to serve you at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. You can also make a request online at calvaryco.store. And thank you for your generous support. Is your donation that allows us to bring the teaching of God's Word to this community and many others around the nation. To make a donation, visit AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. Celebrating 20 years of God's faithfulness, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Come back next time when we'll return to our study of Hebrews. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.